right. All right. We've been walking through this book of Acts. I hope you're enjoying that. Uh, my favorite way of preaching is to walk through uh, each book. And, and the temptation always is, oh, I don't want to deal with that topic and skip. But you watch me on that. If I skip anything, say, hey, what about this? Uh, and, and sometimes th this seemed like a transitional place, but it is not at all. Uh, in, in the passage. So where we are today is Acts chapter 11. If you would like to go ahead and turn to your Bibles, Acts chapter 11, 19 to the end of the chapter. We'll read all that. Um, and, and I'm going to also say those blue Bibles that are in the pews there, uh, those are there, you know, and, and you're welcome to take that home. We've purchased a number of them so we could replace them. If you don't have a Bible, please take one. If you know someone who needs a Bible, please take one. So uh, uh, we want, we, we just love to buy more. So if they end up disappearing, we'll, we'll purchase more and, and fill the pews. We want you to have God's Word in your hand. Uh, along with that, let me, let me just pray for us as we open this, this passage today. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you that uh, you have recorded in your words through your spirit, through these men, uh, for instruction, for understanding uh, of what you're doing in this world. Lord, we're included because of that. You want us to know uh, your will, your uh, desires, and, and Father, we uh, want to be attentive to what you say. So as we open this passage, walk through this book of Acts, Lord, please uh, uh, catch our attention. Lord, if there's something specific we need to hear today, Lord, as we see it and unfold, uh, challenge us, Lord, uh, bring us to repentance if needed, uh, give us encouragement as we need as well. God, again, you're good to us, and we praise you always for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Actually, I, I, let me start with this, that this whole book of Acts is, is like a period of 30 years. 30 years is taking place from the, the time of, of Jesus and his crucifixion, resurrection, that, that day of Pentecost, all the way to Peter's imprisonment. Uh, there at the end is about 30 years of time. What we've covered so far is a little over 10 years. So we, we have covered a third of what, what's in this book of Acts. Um, when we look at that, you know, what, what just took place, what we went through was uh, all that with, with Cornelius and Peter. And, and last week it was the criticism that followed. Uh, today it is the continued advancement of the scriptures. The continued advancement of scriptures. And what we're about to read takes place uh, over those 10 years, 10 years that the church was planted, you know, taking root. We're looking at the history of the very beginnings of the church. And so 10 years after that, that time of, of Pentecost and the beginnings, uh, it, it's been going on for, for 10 years. Uh, in the continued spread of the gospel, what we're going to see, just a little, little view of what we're about to read, is this gospel message continues to spread. We've, if you remember, like in chapter 8, it was Philip taking it to Samaria. And, and then even, even Philip, who went to the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and we talked about the potential that the Ethiopian eunuch then took it as far south as Ethiopia from, from that point. Uh, we also see the spread of the gospel here just recently in chapter 10 to the Gentiles. 
uh, there in Caesarea where Peter had that opportunity, Cornelius and his family, uh, to talk about Jesus, who he is, the significance. And then they also received the Holy Spirit and, and, and became a part of this great kingdom of God through Jesus. And, and so in the passage we're about to read, they're entering into the city of Antioch. And Antioch becomes really significant in, in the part of spreading the gospel. Because later on we know that, that Paul is sent out from Antioch on to other areas. I mean, Gentile infested areas uh, to, to take the gospel. And, and more about that, that city of Antioch. Antioch, it's way north of, of where Jerusalem, farther up in, in Syria. Matter of fact, there's a number of places you might hear Antioch referred to, uh, other locations. There's one in Syria, the one in Pisidia, it's Pisidian Antioch, and there's even a few more identified with that. Out of all the Antiochs, this is the largest. Matter of fact, this is the third largest city in, Roman, uh, in the Roman Empire. Uh, Rome's the largest, Alexandria, Alexandria is, is like the second, and, and now Antioch is the third. Uh, it is an estimated population of 300,000 about this time. That's a large city back then, 300,000. It's a cosmopolitan city, meaning that there is a number of different people who, who are connecting together from, from all over. From, from, especially since they're this far west of Rome, they're, they're getting people out farther east in that, that uh, uh, places of Assyria and Syria. Uh, and they're, they're being brought into uh, this Antioch. But they're from all over. Therefore, uh, we're, we're thinking it's a very pagan city. Uh, like, like many of the cities, paganism is, is pretty high. Uh, one of the key or, or most noted things is there was a temple uh, to, to the goddess Daphne. And, and there was the, the temple prostitution was practiced there. So it was very hedonistic, very self-centered, very, uh, very ungodly uh, things going on in Antioch. Uh, there was also amongst that population, there was said to be anywhere between 22,000 uh, to 65,000 Jews, and not necessarily because of the persecution, but, but because of the, the, just the spreading of Jews. So there was a heavy uh, population of Jews in this city, within this uh, uh, city of Antioch. Again, it's important because what we see in Antioch for the future is here's a hub of encouragement and strength in uh, Paul being sent out to go take that gospel even further, you know, on to the ends of the earth is, is what Scripture says. Let's read that passage. Acts chapter 11, uh, beginning verse 19. And we're going to go, first of all, through verse 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, all of those north of, of uh, Jerusalem, Phoenicia being kind of a territory, Cyprus being an island off, off the Mediterranean, up in their, the northern kind of corner of where that is, and Antioch, of course. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's, that's to the Greeks also, preaching 
the Lord Jesus. So let, let me just stop there. What's happening here in Antioch? Uh, Jews and Gentiles are both receiving the word of God. We haven't seen that happen yet. We haven't seen, I mean, we were, a lot of discussion and, and a lot of teaching came with Cornelius receiving it. But now, right afterwards, we're seeing groups going out. And, and matter of fact, we're not even seeing anyone identified. We don't see Philip. We don't see Peter. Uh, no one is named specifically as going out. So we're looking at Christians. We're looking at people who received Jesus. More, you know, they're, they're scattered from Jerusalem. So they initially have received Christ there in Jerusalem. And they're going farther. They're going into a place like Antioch. And they're preaching to both Jews and some are focused on those who are Greeks, those who are Gentiles in this place. So this, this man, what's happening in Antioch is significant for the church. So, so let's follow, continue on. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great number of people. And, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's that, the that's first identification. Here in chapter 11, the people are first being identified as Christians. And to begin with, I, I want you to know that, that if we look at this, it is not the Christians that have decided to call themselves Christians. It's actually the community around them are noting them, are identifying them for various reasons, saying, hey, there are the, G, or the Christ people. That's what Christians means. The Christ people. That's who we are, right? In Jesus, we are the Christ people. Or probably an easier way to put it is we, we are people who belong to Jesus Christ, right? Therefore, Christians. Now, we, we find it, you know, probably more people today identify that. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But how many of us are identified because of what we see? That, that's what's happening here in Antioch. They see a group that are connecting. They see a group that are coming together. And they're identifying specific things about them. That, and then they're giving this name. Hey, there's the Christ people. That group of people, they're the Christ people. Uh, so it's a great way to, I want to be identified with Christ, right? Do you? Absolutely. I want to be identified with Jesus. He's my Savior, and I will say that and, and, and live that. So, so I, I want us to look at, at kind of what Antioch might have been looking at, the people of Antioch, of seeing people and saying they're identifying as people who belong to Jesus. So the, I, I, basically the statement I, I put down was the follower of Christ can be recognized. He can be recognized. Didn't have to announce it. Didn't have to say, well, I'm a Christian. It ought to be seen in your life. So what did they recognize? First of all, those Christ people are recognized through the uh, grace, through God's grace. 
So it is something that is working amongst them that we could say, there's God at work in those people. Uh, the news of what was happening in Jerusalem, I mean, the news of what was happening in Antioch reached Jerusalem. We've seen this before. Uh, when, when major things are happening uh, in Samaria, the people in Jerusalem are finding out. Uh, Caesarea, when, when Cornelius and the family, those people in Jerusalem are finding out. News is always reaching back. That's the hub of where it all began, right? So there's there's apostles still there, significant leaders in the church, and they're they're paying close attention to, to the commission that's been given. You know, hey, take it to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they're watching it take place, which obviously, you know, has to result in praise with the Jerusalem church. So, so what they do is they send out Barnabas. They send out Barnabas. Barnabas witnessed, and what the scripture says is that Barnabas witnessed this grace working, working amongst them. That's verse 23. Let me read it again. When he came and saw the grace of God, when he came and saw the grace of God, the action is he was glad there at the end. He was, he was glad uh, about this. So he himself witnessed God's grace working uh, within these Antioch believers. Well, what did he see? How can someone see grace? I, one thing I've always identified, and this, this happens because I know God, I know his holiness, one thing I've always said is that you wake up in the morning, there's a new day, evidence of God's grace, right? Wake up, God's given me another day. That's the way I, I, I approach every day. It's, every day is, is, is grace from God. That's, that's from a, a believing perspective. Uh, also, you know, and, and, uh, along with that, the, the thought is this is a, great, uh, a day of grace. It's also that perspective that is, it is another day others have the opportunity to repent and to come into relationship with him. That's also what I wanted to add. But, but what else is there? I mean, it, it wasn't that that, that uh, Barnabas was looking at. What was he seeing? He was seeing the joy, right? I have a feeling that he walked into a, a sense of celebration and, and people who were worshiping God. Why? Because they were, are you familiar with, with this? They were people who were set free from their sinfulness. They, there was no longer any condemnation, any shame hanging over their heads. And they had come into a right relationship with God of all creation. So there was a sense of, of joy and a celebration amongst the people. But I think there was something else that was identified in that. Matter of fact, think about Acts chapter 2, the, the end results of people coming to know the Lord. Uh, there, after you know, repenting and being baptized, all those who were added the first day of the church, what did they do? Uh, let's see. They were, they were uh, dedicated to the apostles' teaching and, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, you know, what we would call communion, and to prayer. They began being involved in those things. So possibly when he showed up, the, the, whoever was, was declaring the message that they had received, they were probably sharing this, the messages of Jesus, the very stories of Jesus uh, when they showed up. So there was teaching going on, and there was fellowship going on. That leads to the second thing I, I think about. 
Is there any, the idea of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, is that not evidence of grace? Actually, the breaking down of barriers, the breaking down of the things that separated, uh, would have been one of the very things that he would notice and say, oh man, God's doing good things here. Uh, and, and it was it was what caused him to be glad because, he, I mean, he saw people and he saw them, they were excited, but he saw God's grace at work within this, these people. And, and as well, I believe the people of Antioch were witnessing this as well, a breaking down of, of barriers. When it comes to what, uh, the, the very fact that God, God's grace is working amongst us, isn't that something that we have the opportunity to, to witness is that something that, that you see uh, when we're gathered together or even out in the community? Do you see and look for God's grace to be working? I actually think that's a great question. Sit and think of a little bit. How have you seen God's grace just entering here to worship today? How have you seen God's grace? Is it in the things that some of the people that you're sitting around, we would have never been any kind of setting together if it weren't for God's grace. He's brought us together. He's the one who draws us. And, And then some of us are sitting there thinking, if you only knew who I was. Okay, everybody raise your hand if you think, oh man, there's stuff in my life. If only knew... I'm the only one. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> if you only knew who I was, God's grace is working because I know the forgiveness. I know, man, the relationship that, that I have, that you all have because of Jesus. We're going to sit down at the table as well and celebrate communion. He breaks down barriers. He breaks down barriers. And, and when grace moves forward, he, bring, he breaks down religious barriers. There's religious barriers, and we know that uh, when I was growing up, man, there's denominations, and you did not intermingle. You just didn't do that. That's not some, I, I think that's a lot of things that are uncomfortable, uncomfortable to someone who's been a part of the church all their lives. What? We're going to bring the Baptist over? The Pentecostal people? What? Oh, no. Uh, Methodist people, boy, they're, they're all different. They're all different. But man, those, those barriers are just falling apart. Next week, we have the opportunity to get together with, with a, a number of different uh, congregations in order to worship by serving our community around us. Hope you have an opportunity to do that with us. Um, but, but barriers are being broken down. One of the greatest barriers today in our nation is politics, Right? I don't know of any greater time, such a, a great distance. I mean, just like battling, two, two battling parties bet- between the two major parties that we have now. And we're coming up on election year. And I know, are you with me? I know it's going to get ugly because it's already ugly, right? But, but the truth is that God's grace is able to break every single barrier, including that. To break differences between those who are seeing different, different perspectives of, of politics. Why? Why is that? Because there is nothing greater than what God has done through Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than what he's done for you. And it goes above anything that might be a barrier or that might separate. Politics, religion, or any other preferences. What he has done ought to be our greatest priority. 
and what he calls us to. I can't imagine what was happening in Antioch. It would have been a thrill to see because you know how barriers are seen. You just kind of stay to your place and I'll stay to my place. But, but when that gospel message was received, these people started coming together. I, I can't imagine what that was like. But now, because all their focus was upon what Jesus has done and the fact that they're all connected to Christ. We need to be a part of that. We need to be a people who are not just saying we're Christians, but who are living for Christ, following after Christ. I want people to accuse us of being the people the Christ people. Hey, you're the, you must be amongst the Christ people and not have to tell anybody. A second observation I have in this, this passage is, is focuses around this guy named Barnabas. We saw him earlier on. And, and the focus is this. It's on, it's on encouragement. Um, they are givers and receivers of encouragement. See, the good things are happening because of that, that grace that's working. And then there's, there's something happening that's just fueling that encouragement. There's something great that's happening that these people are excited. Barnabas came from uh, Jerusalem. Just like they sent uh, Peter and John to Samaria. They're saying, hey, who wants to go check out and see what's happening in Antioch? So in order to come back and, and make a report. Uh, he, he doesn't make many reports because he stays there in Antioch quite a while. But anyway, so, so they send this guy named Barnabas, who we see actually uh, early on. He's, he's one of those early converts. He is, his name originally is Joseph. In chapter 4 of Acts, verse 36, you see details about Barnabas. His name originally was Joseph. Uh, he, he is a native of Cyprus. Clear up there, that island off in the Mediterranean. Therefore, he was, he was a Hellenistic Jew. He grew up around uh, Greek people in, in that area of Cyprus. Uh, he was named, he was renamed by the apostles, and they gave him that name Barnabas. And that name Barnabas means son of encouragement. So there was something about Barnabas. He was, he was this, this man of great uh, encouragement. And what did he do in verse Verse 23, we look again. You know, here he comes. Uh, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And, and the rest of that says, And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He exhorted them. He encouraged them to stay faithful. He, so, so here's a guy representative of the Jerusalem church. He shows up. He's, he's looking over what's happening within uh, all these believers coming together. And here's something he was not. He wasn't critical. How easy is it to be critical over something new and exciting that's happening? I think we all know how easy it is to be critical. Well, what, Doc, what, what, is, what are they wearing? <laughs> what are they wearing? And, and then what are they eating? Come on. What are they? These people don't love Jesus. Look what they're doing. Look what they're wearing. Look... <laughs> Look how they're acting. Look at this. What, what's going on? That's critical. And we have people walking in church all the time. Say, or maybe someone comes into our church and we get critical. Oh, man. Well, obviously, they don't know Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry, I laugh, but we all know what critical is, right? There's been criticism directed at you. And you know what it feels like. And there's been criticism that you've thrown at others. Isn't that right? Oh, if, if we're honest, if we're honest, there's some places where we've been critical. I want to be like Barnabas, though. 
I want to be like Barnabas, a man who just loves Jesus and, and appears. I, to be called the son of encouragement would be great. Barnabas shows up and he is He's, he exhorts them. He focuses attention upon this. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to stay faithful to the Lord. Remain faithful to the Lord. That was his message. Uh, and, and not only that, but he, he also said, and be steadfast in purpose. What, what purpose do they have? Well, I'm sure that they were celebrating what Christ has already done, and they're giving glory to God. You know, hey, that purpose, that, that ought to be the greatest purpose of all. Let's glorify God. Not just on Sunday morning, but hey, throughout the week, what does it mean to glorify God in my workplace or glorify God? You know, it is with my actions. I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to act more like Jesus. I want to live more for Jesus in my life. Therefore, I'm going to continue to fashion and grow in that. And, and Barnabas has come along. Do more of that. Do more of that. Do more loving of the God who gave you this salvation and pursue that. What is the makeup of an encourager? Actually, 24, uh, Luke comes along and says, this is who Barnabas is. He says in verse 24, he is a good man. He is a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Uh, it's interesting, but nobody else is identified as a good man throughout Acts. Look, look for that. No one else is identified as a good man. Uh, a good man is, is someone who, with, with moral integrity, uh, and, and he could be trusted. I, I believe Barnabas was a person, being that son of encouragement, some, someone people were drawn to, and, and of course, to receive encouragement. And, and so he was, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that, that the, the encourager part of him was, was a gift from, from the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter, it was Romans chapter 12, verse 8, identifies amongst their list as someone who, who does very much that, that exhorting. He exhorts, which is words of encouragement, speaking encouragement to others. Uh, and, and in other, other translations, it, or in other translations, it is use they use encouragement he is an encourager also he is a man of faith he is a man of faith we see that in his actions early in acts acts 436 that next verse uh, uh, he speaks of that it was barnabas who went and sold property he saw how do you how do you sell property They're selling little things and giving the money away but selling something big like property and giving money away there's there is faith at work in that person's life to give it away and say man use those in need use this for that um also uh he was he was the one that stepped up for saul he's the one that stepped up for saul when saul was converted here he was the the one who was persecuting the church when saul first made his trip to jerusalem uh barnabas was there when, when everybody was shying away from this, you know, is he, is he really converted or is he trying to get names, take names and, and put us in prison? But Barnabas stepped up and said, hey, hey, here's the story. He came face to face with Jesus. He, told, he shared the story. He stepped up. He represented Saul uh, before others. That, that required faith. He was a man of faith. He was the one decided by the church, you go to Antioch and check it out. So there was some trust and confidence in him as well. What does encouragement do? What does encouragement do? 
the image I always get is it's, it's fanning the flame, you know. It's, it's uh, when I'm building a fire and I, I, I'm getting it started, I get on my knees down there and I'm blowing into to where the flame has already had its beginning. And what happens from that blowing, it just, man, that, that, that small flame just increases and it becomes this great fire. That's what encouragement does. That's what Barnabas was doing. Matter of fact, the end result of Barnabas and his coming is there in verse 24. Uh, after the descriptions, it, it follows with this. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Man, in the spreading of the gospel and in new converts, we want to fan that flame, right? We want to be encouragement. Matter of fact, instead of that, that the people who are critical... We ought to be people who are encouragers. Find those places to encourage one another. Encourage what's happening. Encourage what you see. Matter of fact, here, here's a challenge. When you go to church, whether it's here or elsewhere, you ought to just determine, Lord, this morning, I, I want to encourage at least someone. I want to be an encouragement to someone. And, instead of, and, and that would be so appropriate to come into this, this place of worship where we're directing our attention to give worship to God because that's exactly what God, God was so focused upon uh, what he did for us. His love for us was so poured out through Jesus that we ought to have the same kind of attitude. That way, when I show up to church, I ought to be looking around and say, man, do I see someone here? Maybe even it's a quick prayer. Lord, do I see someone here who, who could use some encouragement? And you spot them. So even during the sermon time when you should be listening, you look around. I'm giving you permission. You look around and say, man, I, I, I think I want to say something to, to old Bill over here or, or to, to someone within the service. I think, I think they could use some encouragement. And just say something. Man, it's been a while since I see you. How are you doing? You know, I want, I want to pray for you. What's, what, what's going good in your life? I don't, you know what to say. Uh, I, I would just, maybe the encouragement is, man, I haven't seen you in a while. You look good. You know, what's happened between you and the Lord? Be that person. If, if we were just a church full of encouragers, all of us were determined to encourage someone, how are we going to leave? Filled? Fueled? Get that fire going. Anybody need some, you know, some, some encouragement, some some. Uh, you know, something built up in your life in order for us to head into Monday? Anybody? I think we all do. I think we all do. I want to encourage you, exhort you to, to be more that, that person who encourages, that, who builds up, who strengthens, who helps the overall church to continue to grow and build because encouragement's a very much a part of that. Finally, the final thing that we need to observe is, is that area of teaching. Uh, the last part of the two, two verses here, uh, the focus comes in, man, great things are happening. Jews and, and Gentiles, these Greeks are coming to know Jesus, and they're all excited, but there is something that needs to be added. So instead of being critical, he was, he was encouraging. But what he's walking away and saying is, these people need some teaching. They need to know more about the things that Jesus said. They need to maybe even get a little bit of understanding from what happened, you know, 
from way back how God designed and planned this and brought it through. So the Old Testament as well. So helping those Jews who know those things understand and see Jesus as the Messiah. The Gentiles need to see him as Lord. And so there's, there's a lot of things to learn. So, so what we see in the text is that, that uh, uh, Barnabas sets out for, for, uh, sends out for, for Saul. He looks for Saul. I'm sorry, I didn't repeat. Verse, uh, our third point is this. They are focused on growth in learning. They're focused on that learning. So Barnabas sought out Saul. Remember the last place we left him, he left Jerusalem, and they sent him up to Tarsus, is where he's from originally. So he's been in Tarsus, the round, sur- surrounding area. He leaves, uh, he leaves Antioch and all the good things that are going on, and he goes out to serve. You can't Google him. He can't use his cell phone. He doesn't have a number. He had to go to Tarsus and ask around, have you seen Saul? Have you seen Saul of Tarsus? You know, and I don't know how long it took, but it was necessary. It was important. And he went and got, uh, uh, found Saul and brought him back. And together they taught in that area for a year, for that next year. What did he teach? What did they teach? Isn't that a great question? It doesn't go into details, but there are a couple of things that, that definitely we could look and say, here's where they went. These brand new believers in Christ, and here's where they went with their teaching. One thing was they taught them about giving and being generous. Uh, the, the remaining three verses there, uh, 27, 28, 29, 40, four verses. Uh, let, me, let me read that. Here's what went on there in Antioch. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood and foretold by the Spirit uh, that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Let me, let me just say this. First of all, a prophet in this, in this day. Of course, the Holy Spirit speaking through someone special, something forthcoming, is, is a prophet. They, they existed in that time. And could be a word today that we'd hear. Uh, that, that's possible. But it would be through the Holy Spirit. His guidance, his direction. In this, you know, the, the detail is, hey, there is a famine coming. So what do we do? So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. What were they learning? They were learning that, that principle of giving. Giving from what I have to help others in need. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They learned generosity. I believe in Jesus we learn generosity. Isn't that true? Absolutely. The one who gave his all for us, one of the things a believer, one, a genuine person in Christ, a, the Christ people is going to know what generosity is. They're going to know what generosity is. Also, I, I would also invite you to look at the rest of the New Testament. What else could be taught to these people in Antioch? Uh, maybe it's Paul's letter to the Romans who focused on salvation and, and goes into great detail uh, uh, teaching there. That was, that was uh, Paul, I mean Saul, who, who be, then becomes Paul. That was his letter of teaching to the people in Rome. And, and, and the Corinthians, I mean, there's some correction there, but there's lots of teaching to the Corinthians and Galatians and all the book of Ephesians. Matter of fact, that's where I probably connected the most. I thought, man, I, if anything, 
What you guys are studying, the men and women groups are saying on, on Wednesday night, that book of Ephesians, you know, the first few chapters of Ephesians in that letter is focused upon the salvation. You know, once you were, you were under that condemnation, you were corrupt with your sinfulness. But now through Christ, through that grace in Jesus Christ, you become his children, you become his people. You know, created in him. And, and so the, the beginnings of that is a focus upon salvation. But then it comes in the second part that says, hey, he, he challenges them. Listen, live as children of light. That's a part of F, uh, the, the book of Ephesians. And he goes into details. You know, what about relationships? Hey, hey uh, surrender to each other or, or serve one another. And it goes into relationships, husbands and wives and children. This is how you live. And, and to, to anybody who, who has bosses or authority, you know, in work, you, I, I think that's the encouragement to, 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 this is how you live as children of light in all areas. And, and how do you deal with the things of the world? Well, let's see, put on the full armor of God. It's all in there in, in, in Paul's letters. That's, that's where we run to a lot of times for our teaching uh, for the church. And it's a great place for us to read those new in Christ, to read those letters from Paul within the scriptures. Antioch is a significant place for us. Samaria was everywhere where the gospel is going and spreading that. But Antioch especially is a, a significant in that the fact that from Antioch, that gospel is going to be spread on on, on over to Rome and to, to so many cities, those very churches that Paul wrote to we are we are christians we are christ people i hesitate for an amen or some kind of response is that is that not good news that we belong to jesus and even better, you know, even better that we're not just identical. We walk around and, and should we wear a little name badge that says, oh, I'm Christian. My name's Ronnie Roberts. We don't need to do that. And I think it's because we ought to be living the grace and the mercy of God. It ought to be an action, an activity within us. It's loving people that are hard to love. It's, it's, it's being neighborly to unneighborly people. It's, it's being a community person to people who would, you know, just rather not deal with Christians. It's taking the message out there and then, you know, having them look and say, oh, it's, that's those Christians. They're the ones who ought to identify us, not ourselves. They ought to be the ones who are identifying and seeing the concrete, solid evidence that you're living for Jesus. Amen? It ought to be in the grace that's active and working in you. It ought to be found within the encouragement that's built up. That ought to be encouragement, not the critical part, but the encouragement of encouraging one another to live in that way and also in the continuous, continued pursuit of learning from the Word of who we are and what we need to be. Right? I want to be called the Christ people. I'm sorry, a Christian, identified in Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for Jesus every day. Uh, God, that's who we are. That's our identity. 
Jesus in his death and his resurrection has made it possible through faith to connect uh, in that very death and resurrection. And we come along and we're able to walk our lives as Christ did. Lord, along with that, you gave us your Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. Oh, Father, how, how could we feel any more separated from you when we know Jesus and we've made that decision for him? So therefore, Lord, work your grace in us. Work your mercy. Help us, Lord, to live that, not just here amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, but help us to live it out into this community. Help us, Father, to be the encouragers we need to be, to fan that flame of what you're doing, Lord. Your, uh, your work needs to have someone come behind and, and give praise to it and to glorify, God, what's happening within our lives. And then, Father, help us to learn, to learn the very actions of people who belong to you. Lord, we want to be faithful. Uh, that, that great encouragement that Barnabas gave Lord, help us to be faithful and, and to continue in the purpose that you've given us, ultimately just to glorify your name in every day. I praise you, Father, for the opportunity to come together to worship you and to, and to seek to serve you and to love you in every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.